Welcome to Myanmar in a Potshell, the podcast that puts current developments in Myanmar into context. My name is Rodian Ebekhausen, and today's topic is Democracy, Myanmar's Endless Struggle. I would like to discuss the topic with Marco Bünte and Richard Dacun. Marco Binte is professor of Asian politics at the Friedrich Alexander University of Erlangen-Nürnberg. He is specialized in issues of democracy and authoritarianism with a regional focus on Southeast Asia. Here, particularly uh, the developments in Thailand, Indonesia and Myanmar. Richard Takun is a PhD candidate at the Department of Asia Studies of the Rheinische Friedrich Wilhelms University of Bonn. He is a political activist used to live in Mandalay until very recently. He holds a graduate diploma in business administration and a master of economics. Thank you for joining us today. So let's start with the discussion. My first question goes to Richard. I know that you have left Myanmar not so long ago, and we would love to benefit from your knowledge from the ground. So since you are interested in politics, I assume, assume that you have talked about politics and democracy with friends and relatives and lots of people in Myanmar. And I would like to know, like, what ideas do people in Myanmar associate with the concept or the word democracy? So what does democracy mean for people in Myanmar if you talk with them? Well... Thanks for inviting me to the talks. It's a great honor for me. I think this question is very fundamental, but in a way it's very important for democratic transition society like Myanmar. You know, democracy in Myanmar is really paradoxical. Its meaning and interpretations are different to different levels of people. But some educated people, I would say democracy in Myanmar is, you know, just a phase one in 2015. You know, we are yet to get the full blessing of liberal democracy where human rights are respected. But if you go a little bit deeper inside the country, wars is in the areas of ethnic society. Because, you know, democratization in Myanmar happens um, from top to bottom. It did not get very far to the remote areas. I mean, if you go and ask Kachin's Day, Chin's Day, you know, Mon state but farmers, they will say, what is democracy to them? They were in their good mood. They might answer, it's just another political system. It does not affect them much. But for the political activists and ethnic militia leaders, democratization means a fight that never ends for them. You know, they have been fighting for it for 60, 70 years. That's what they will say. You know, there's a saying in Myanmar, It's mean, which literally means, you know, whoever is the king, we have to feed ourselves. In many respects, it still reflects true to this day. Um, consider Myanmar people who is alive now are born under the kind of dictatorship, under oppressed governments and socialist party, which normally takes a strong central control and power, you know. And they weaponize laws against its own people, monopolize economy, corrupted as hell from top to bottom. But there's this sugar-coated ideology, which is Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is wrongly interpreted in Myanmar as the karmic philosophy, although Buddha himself was not a fatalist. What we 
understand about karma is, you know, everything is karma. Being a king is karma. Being somebody in the authority is karma. You know, even for unreasonable torture and jail means you have done something wrong in the previous life. What I mean is that, you know, um, from optimistic point of view, this is this deeply ingrained ideology gives us some inner peace during 60 um, tremendously oppressed years. But from the pessimistic point of view, people became lack of wealth to go against the unfairness of dictatorship. This is the underlying societal ideology. Of course, time has changed, you know, with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, democracy, and, you know, after 2011 and 2020, we have tasted a little bit of freedom in Myanmar, which means we now know a little bit of what is the quasi-democratic means. We saw the press freedom and freedom of speech. That was totally astounding. Uh, could have been much better. Of course, you know, we have also seen the uh, what democracy could bring, something like economic infra- infrastructure improvements. I would say that was changing our perceptions about the democracy from the, you know, big cities to a little bit to the um, other villages. But it didn't get very far to the ethnic society areas, you know, because I know a lot of friends in Shem State and Kachin State and Chin State as well. They do not really feel like it's the really democratic transformation to them. Um, but there's, in the Spring Revolution in 2021, they know exactly what it means when they are shouted out loud, we want democracy on the road. Makabunto, as you are a professor for political science with many years of experience, can you help us a little bit and explain what the term democracy actually means in political science? So can you give a definition or at least some core aspects which you would say cannot be missed for a democratic system? First, thank you for having me as well and for giving me this very difficult task in the beginning. Uh, Why is this difficult? Uh, Because it is a highly contested concept, even in the West. And uh, so there are different meanings uh, to democracy, and democracy maybe means a different thing to different people and uh, also uh, to different countries. But... Literally, it means rule of the people. But the problem is, who are the people and how should they rule? And um, so you can think of it basically as revolving around a core of free and fair and contested elections. So that is, I would say, the minimum of uh, understanding of democracy, where you can basically... Uh, distinguish between democratic and non-democratic society. So that is in uh, political science basically uh, the main border uh, between uh, democracy and non-democracy is normally uh, uh, free and fair elections. So what does that mean? Basically means that you are allowed uh, to elect your government and uh, that you have certain freedoms installed. So basically, uh, freedom of speech, uh, f- uh, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of the press, and all these freedoms which are there to basically hold your government accountable. 
this is the inner meaning on the minimal understanding. But we also have a much broader sense, uh, which goes into a liberal direction, because basically uh, the idea of democracy also started uh, historically in the West and is associated with a number of liberal thinkers. So um, you have, for instance, this idea of checks and balances uh, that governments are controlled uh, by certain institutions. Presidents are controlled by parliaments, uh, uh, that you have corruption control and all these likes. And even you, you can even go further. A control, control of the military would also be very important for a democracy because a military can actually veto a lot of policies initiated by the government. So uh, you see um, that this kind of understanding uh, is much broader and uh, it also includes participation uh, and uh, participation of people, participation of political parties, participation of civil society uh, and so on. Uh, so, but this understanding is also, there are a lot of preconditions to have this kind of, we do not find this, uh, this democracy uh, in other parts of, of the world. Um, and so we find a lot of illiberal democracies, a lot of uh, semi-democracies uh, where we have elections, uh, but beyond elections, we do not have much more. And if we take your definition and look to Myanmar, so would you say that there has there ever been a democracy in Myanmar? Or has there been at least a process of democratization from your perspective? When we look at the uh, democracy indices uh, um, that are measuring democracy, Myanmar has moved from a closed authoritarian system, certainly, uh, to a more democratic one, but it never made it into uh, the realm of full democracy not even uh, elected democracy. It has uh, elected its government in 2015, uh, but uh, there were also uh, some important uh, aspects with regards to civil liberties, press freedom and all that, that has not been truly free. So um, we have seen a slow democratization since uh, 2000, uh, 2011, a highly contested process um, with a lot of reformers pushing for uh, more liberal freedoms, but the military and also conservative actors blocking these kind of changes. Um, and uh, so, so Richard has called this semi-democracy. So basically it is somewhere in between, uh, between an electoral democracy and uh, an authoritarian uh, or a half authoritarian and, and a democracy. So basically... It depends really on the definition. If you really stick to the, the term electoral democracy uh, and stick to the elections, you can say, yes, Myanmar has been ha had an elected government. Uh, but if you go uh, further, that uh, Myanmar would, would fail. And it has so it has not fully reached uh, the potential. And Richard, what is your take on this question? Has there ever been a democracy at, in Myanmar? Um, I would say just uh, we're just the baby of the democracy you know as in every transition it's really hard uh, from very close country 
to open up slightly and in the hands of military means, you know, our democracy was very limited. Of course, we had the press freedom in the beginning, which was, you know, later contested. I mean, in the even in the time of Don San Suu Kyi, uh, that press freedom was not really to 100%. Um, so this kind of thing we have experienced. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, for the people inside the country, it was a little bit of change. Yes. But we don't feel it like, as a full democratic system of the country. So I would like to go a bit more into uh, Myanmar's concept or concepts of democracy. So uh, we have had more or less two concepts in the country of democracy. And one, of course, was uh, put forward by Aung San Suu Kyi and the NLD. And um, Aung San Suu Kyi once uh, defined democracy uh, in, a, in a text from Freedom from Fear, so in the book Freedom from Fear. And she wrote, like, the people of Burma view democracy not merely as a form of government, but an integrated social and ideological system based on the respect of the individual. So what does this mean or what can you say about this idea Aung San Suu Kyi had about democracy? Maybe, Richard, you can start first. Yes, um, she was really educating the people for us. I mean, she has written something and her book was translated as well. So the thing is, it is spread around the people and people began to be aware of what their rights are when it is written like this. But of course, we never have this kind of rights. Um, but if you consider the people who doesn't have real laws backing them up and, you know, not the full democratic system is there yet. So what my take on this, it's a long journey and it's just the beginning. And people understand that once they arrive there, they will get the democracy and the full blessing of a liberal government and also the um, regards the freedom and rights for the people. But we don't have it yet. We understand so far because of the owing to globalization and people like Don San Suu Kyi as well. Marco Bünte, if you hear about like it's an integrated social and ideological system, that is what she, she said. Don't you think that this is maybe a very broad approach for democracy if we think, okay, we want to make a, it's a political system? Or what do you think about her approach or her idea about democracy? Uh, I have to think about that first because I never uh, th thought about it uh, from her point of view. I also saw that uh, that is heavily embedded in Myanmar society um, or a kind of a Buddhist way of thinking um, and of developing its own perception its own role in society and so on so um i i cannot really say much about uh, this this kind of conception because i um i i have never related it to to what we have we have seen so it's basically it seems to be very much based on the individual freedom and Uh, not so much about it. So, so a system is very, very idealistic as as well, but not so much about the relationship between rulers and and ruled. Uh, so, but very much uh, about your own uh, attempts or your own 
possibilities to develop your inner freedom in a society. So you, you used the word idealistic. And I know like Richard, uh, when answering the first question, he always said there is this importance of Buddhism. Uh, and maybe um, can one of you uh, say something about this connection between this idealism, you said, connected to democracy and this connection of democracy and Buddhism? And how are those two things related, uh, if they are, at least in the view of Aung San Suu Kyi? Um, okay, I myself is also a Buddhist, so I'm just going to tell about, it's not really from theoretical perspective, it's from Buddhism's point of view. I mean, Buddhism is the faith of overwhelming majority in Myanmar. It's about 85% of the people, right? And it is 2,000 years older than the existentialism in the Western ideology. But it is basically similar in the sense that Life is absurd and, you know, it doesn't have central meaning in it. But it's different. And, you know, that Buddha has shown the path and different things. But in one sense, Buddha said, Adahi Adanonato, which means, you know, which can be interpreted as the each man is responsible for himself. Buddha was not a fatalist, but he accepted karmic principle as the starting point. The seedling condition, we call it, you know. But, you know, Myanmar people are different, okay. People after 2,500 years later, we wrongly interpreted in this idea as a total karmic principles. That is the main difference and main belief in Buddhism of Myanmar. Um, to continue to democracy from Buddhism point of view is, you know, it's much more hierarchical, And also the we are accepting um, what once Confucius summarized, you know, the theoretical of the hierarchy. We accept the superior and inferior relationships. So that popular, you know, belief is that, you know, being somebody in the authority means it's a karma, karmic principle. So something like, you know, nobody challenged Dawn San Suji and her idea in the previous regimes. Even for those who try to criticize her policies were demonized by the society, you know, because society believed this is the kind of, you know, karma that is happening for Iran. But anyway, this is kind of a contradiction with democracy going on in Myanmar, which is based from Buddhist point of view, I'd say. So um, we have now talked a little bit about uh, Aung San Suu Kyi or the NLD's idea about uh, democracy, but the military um, government uh, is also talking about democracy and they call it a disciplined democracy. <laughs> so uh, the question is, and, and discipline, by the way, is a word which Aung San Suu Kyi has been using in her speeches a lot as well. She has always been talking about discipline. And the military but says, okay, we need a dis disciplined democracy. And what can we make out of this? It also nicely fits into the evolution of this kind of disciplined democracy. It's, it's, so basically it started from military rule and the military gave some basic freedoms, right? Uh, like uh, democratic freedoms, like uh, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of uh, demonstration and assembly and so on. 
But all these freedoms were um, basically watched by the military uh, and the constitution uh, limits uh, these freedoms. Uh, and so it is a kind of disciplined democracy because they're not fully, fully established. So the military in the past has watched the press, for instance, not to criticize the military. And whenever the press has criticized the military, the military has also uh, reached out uh, to the editors uh, and criticized um, their their news. And uh, so, so we have seen also a lot of uh, uh, journalists uh, being arrested uh, for their uh, for their reports and for disclosing some some secrets, for instance, you you've seen the some of the laws pertaining uh, state secrets, the old older law still in place, which the NLD has also um, not really reformed. So uh, and and that is something um, that has been criticized um, as well. So. Same uh, with the the law on the the freedom of assembly, for instance. Uh, The law has been reformed and there has been some kind of freedom of assembly, but in a very narrow sense. Uh, So, um, for instance, these demonstrations had to be announced before. Um, They even had to to tell the authorities, uh, the people who are involved in... uh, the streets where they march on and so and also at the beginning before the law has been reformed the authorities also had to consent that these demonstrations are are accepted so uh, basically uh, we see here um, basically that uh, democracy is guarded by the military democracy is is constrained um, freedoms are constrained, so so basically, this kind of a disciplinar, a disciplined democracy, is characterized by limited uh, freedom, a lot of illiberalism, um, and uh, so, so this is basically uh, the uh, the idea of the military um, of of the. You have an elected government. Um, uh, certainly, but um, it is uh, the individual is uh, controlled. Politicians are controlled as well, right? Because uh, the military is 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 very um, negative about politicians. So basically, for instance, pol- uh, presidents had to uh, lay down uh, their posts within the party after being elected. So uh, in a Western sense, this would be impossible, right? Because uh, you are accountable to, um, a president is accountable to the electorate. And uh, so that does not really make sense. But it, um, this all comes from this, the, the, the negative view the military has on uh, politicians, right? And um, Richard, so what would you make out of this concept or idea about a disciplined democracy? Um. It is established by the military coup uh, mil- after 1989, of course. You know, basically, okay, they want to rule and they want to create a secular national identity and the ideology that focus on their military. So its leading position will never get astray. I mean, 
in the future, they believe that the only organization that can preserve the national unity is the military. So in their sense, so they need to form disciplined, flourishing democracy because there are too many ethics, there are too many, uh, um, you know, militias, different ethnic militias. So they need to control them together. That's their basic ideology of 2008 constitution as well. From my point of view, you know, of course, you know, undocumented thing, let me say a little bit. The thing is, after about 20 years of control, military generals already pocketed most of the country's wealth and resources. Some research even documented it can be amounted up to 50% of the entire country's resources. So, but they still have sanctions in place, right? So these sanctions, uh, they become giant fishes in the little pond. They cannot move freely. They cannot do the transaction freely. So they needed capitalism. Capitalism needed democracy. Democracy in Myanmar needed Don and Suchi. Then only they can be free from the shadows of the Western sanction. So they crafted the Masterpiece 2008 Constitution, which is um, mainly a facade. And, you know, it's not really a democratic trade in Myanmar, but they, it's designed to perpetuate military control over everything. So that's how they started their discipline, flourishing democracy. Certainly. So on the individual level, it is the restraining or constraining of freedom. But um, certainly at the political level, this is the heavily involvement of the military in politics, as Richard said, in uh, fully controlling uh, a number of areas, particularly the security-related areas, the reserve ministries, the heavy involvement in the country's administration. Uh, so basically the dominant uh, um, being the dominant actor in the democracy. So um, that is the conception of the disciplined democracy where the the military also balances maybe or moderates uh, other social actors and uh, is is really heavily involved in political discussions. Uh, We have seen that in parliaments uh, and... um, so one example might be when an NLD politician basically suggested uh, to join the human rights covenant. And uh, so the military immediately reacted and said, no, this is not a, not, not a good idea. We are losing our sovereignty because we give uh, some authorities to to foreign countries. So that is uh, what the military is basically saying. So in, in the end... Uh, um, the NLD did uh, did not push forward with this proposal to to join the uh, the human rights covenant. Uh, so 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 that shows that the military is constantly guarding the political process, constantly restraining political actions, and so on. But if we take these two very different concepts into account, so. Um, it's always very easy if you look back to analyze it, but I would like to ask this question anyway. So has there ever been a chance for a successful democratization under the government divided between the military and Aung San Suu Kyi? So I mean in the last like 2010, uh, 2015 to 2020, 2021. So um, has there ever been a chance to work with this divided 
solution for more democratization. What is your take on this, Richard? I think we have to talk about how the agreement begins, you know, with Tan Shui's regime and Don San Suu Kyi. You know, we observers know that, you know, they have met several times. That time, Don San Suu Kyi was indoctrinated with the idea of not to touch, not to criticize the military and not to cross the line. And that was her take on it. And she vowed and she really kept. And that makes even the divide between the a lot of ethnic city later on, you know, the, the issues. Um, so what I want to say is that de democratization happens in their military design game, right? And Don San Suji tried to push it at last. You know, her intention was there, you know, the at the end of her first term, you know, in, in 2019, which happened, the test of the changing the Constitution Act, which uh, when, they, you know, they want to limit the military portion of the constitutional 25%. So in that sense, they were not successful, of course. You know, they were all blocked by the um, military guys again. But the thing is, um, that was the first push. But of course, NLD knows about it. And then probably in this coming 2020 elections, after 2020 election, their intention is to change the whole structure by the organization and consent of the people of millions of, you know, science and everything. So this is their intention to push towards the democratization. But of course, it didn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, what what is your take on this? Like, was there a chance to get more democratization with the limited framework the military has set up with the 2008 constitution? When we look at it from uh, from the year 2021, we can always say, no, there has been uh, no chance. It was uh, doomed from the start and so on. But uh, if we think of maybe different, if we think of the experiences of other countries, for instance, Indonesia, after its democratization, we might, we might think of developments that could have happened. And, and this uh, relates to peace, to the peace process. The military um, is basically um, fighting a, a war against uh, ethnic groups uh, since uh, the country's uh, foundations. So if Aung San Suu Kyi could have really made more progress in regards to making peace, uh, that would have maybe been possible to reach a compromise with the military. So um, I refer to the situation in Indonesia uh, where we had a similar situation in 1999. And um, uh, the Aceh peace agreement then in 2004 was also a kind of, of um, reform or a kind of a process that then allowed further democratization to take place. Indonesia has only established the direct elections after the year after uh, signing these peace agreements. So advancing 
in the areas of peace and statehood uh, or um, how you call it allows you to give more freedoms so certainly the situation in Myanmar is completely different because we we have uh, much more ethnic groups fighting and um, the whole process really be being protracted and and the civil war going on so long so um, maybe it has uh, been doomed from the beginning but if she would have really convinced um, the ethnic groups to join and send a sign to the military that this could move on. But the military also here has maybe blocked the whole process and, and so on. So, but we, um, we, should, we should be open to, to, to these, um, these ideas, at least what could have happened. So you would say like the peace process was key for further development or for the next steps? and uh, like for a democratization process could have been it could, could have been i mean uh, I, i i reject the, that the idea that it was uh, doomed from the start uh, certainly uh, the military wanted to control the whole situation maybe wanted to give uh, aung san suu kyi a chance uh, to attract um, to, to attract foreign direct investment to improve the image Uh, of the country and all that, but also maybe uh, to make peace with the ethnic groups. And, I mean, we, we have to, um, to keep in mind that the military is also part of the government, so it would also fall back on them. So they both would have to do that together. So, but maybe, maybe they would have just thought of um, really taking the 2008 constitution and um, bringing that to the ethnic areas uh, and then to convince them uh, to sign this, whereas the ethnic uh, communities certainly would have something completely different in mind, and much more federalism and all that. And that is something Aung San Suu Kyi could not deliver. Uh, so, so a compromise here is was it was very very different uh, from the beginning um i have always called this a kind of protracted uh, transition where we have seen minimal steps um one one step uh, forward two steps back uh, two steps forward one step back and so on uh, so a kind of incremental process the main the core problem has been a compromise uh, to reaching reach a compromise between the NLD and the military and the ethnic groups. In the past, we uh, um, it was it was uh, basically from the ethnic groups also very often seen as if uh, the military and the NLD are in cahoots and uh, are cooperating against the the ethnic groups. Right? Yeah. Maybe maybe this can bring us to uh, another point. I would like to discuss, which uh, you mentioned in the beginning, that elections are a very important part um, of democratic systems because elections intend to facilitate a non-violent transfer of power and they create a kind of accountability uh, for the politicians. But um, first, I, like all elections in Myanmar since 1947 have in essence created a one-party parliament or more or less a one-party parliament because of the first-past-the-post system, which is the electoral system. And um, so there has never been a significant opposition and representation of the ethnic minorities was severely limited uh, since the beginning when, when Myanmar uh, started. So um, 
And experts have repeatedly called for electoral reform, that we have to change this. And for example, in the 2015 elections, if I remember it correctly, like the NLD was the third uh, um, party in the Shun state. But because of the 2008 constitution, they um, uh, could uh, nominate the state minister, which, of course, lots of ethnic minorities did not um, think about, okay, this is the way how we feel represented. So I would like to talk about, like, um, how much uh, would a change of an electoral system or how much did this electoral, uh, the, the election system in Myanmar contribute to this uh, not working of democracy? And maybe, Richard, you can uh, start. Thing is, the elections in Myanmar, um, one thing you said was right, was uh, majoritarian dictatorship, as people usually say. Because elections happen in Myanmar and normally dominated by one-party systems, one-party majority won. Um, that was what was happening also in the NLD's time. Of course, you know, we believe in Don Sanzuji, we believe in also the NLD's um, freedom, belief, and also the rights they would regard. But uh, the thing is, they do not really cooperate very much with the ethnic minorities, you know, after they have won the ele election. As you have pointed out, the Shan, um, you know, in 2015, after they won the election, they didn't regard SNLD party as their ally and, you know, refused to give the administrative power and representation in the Shan state. Then the SNLD um, was offered ethnic affair ministers and they, they declined the offer. So what I want to say is the democratization um, is, uh, election is very important. And then, of course, one party management system without the opposition become uh, lacking the check and balance. And also the, you know, strong central control inside NLD has made it a little bit of mismanagement or concerning with the ethnic minorities. Yeah, that's the what is becoming inside. I have seen uh, recently uh, uh, some some graphs um, that uh, under a proportional system, the NLD would even have won a majority, but um, not such a large majority. So it would even uh, go beyond 50%. So it was something roughly 60% or so. But certainly now under the majoritarian system of 80% makes it much more difficult to come to a compromise in a multi-ethnic setting. So, but we had a chance under the USDP government basically to reform this. There have been discussions uh, to reform the system. Uh, I think in 2014, um, there were um, also in Parliament discussions whether they should uh, change the election system to a proportional uh, to a system of proportional representation, and they have not. The USDP has not advanced uh, or brought forward this uh, this idea. Why? Maybe because they simply did not understand the inner workings uh, of this this system. 
So it was a kind of a failure of authoritarian learning uh, to, to really reform this. They were maybe afraid that the international community would see that as attempt to block the NLD or uh, to discriminate the NLD. Because you know um, that in, in 2014, they wanted to be seen as reformers and want to attract foreign direct investment. So any attempt to uh, change the election system would then have um, met really criticism from the NLD first and then from, uh, from the international community maybe as well. So, so this is something like this is where it where it has gone wrong because they simply were not really aware of what what were the consequences uh, of this election system. Although uh, we have seen the elections in two thousand twelve, uh, one in a landslide, uh, forty three out of forty four seats uh, won by the NLD. That was a clear uh, sign that the NLD. Uh, is is winning and um certainly the nld having this huge majority will not change uh this election system because it works uh for them right and um if if i'm not mistaken uh, a number of ethnic groups uh also were against changing the election system because it gave them the majority in, in, in their regions. So maybe what uh, what should be changed is a kind of the, a re- the regional proportion, really the, the rule that the president, el- uh, not elects, the president appoints the regional ministers. They are not elected, but they are appointed by the president so and this is uh, the in, the the instance uh, or the incident uh, that you have mentioned where you have for instance in Rakhine state or in uh, Shan state majorities of ethnic groups but the NLD elected or uh, choose NLD ministers if i'm not totally wrong um the SAC um or the election commission, the new election commission of the SAC has at least discussed changing the electoral system. And um, to be honest, this reminded me of Thailand, where they have also created a new electoral system, which in the end, they um, it is like the idea to split or to have lots of small parties so that it might be easier for the USDP or someone else uh, to take control. And after the elections, Thailand's government has done a lot of mathematics to get the result they wanted to get. So um, do you think that, that this might be, or this, this discussion might lead to, uh, to some, a similar system in Thailand? And we know that there is a good connection between Prayut and uh, Minaung Line. Yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, and uh, this seems to be the plan uh, of the SAC and uh, Min Aung Lying uh, to manipulate, uh, I would say, uh, the election system in order uh, to have a party and maybe in the future be elected president. So, so this might be uh, the overall uh, idea of uh, Min Aung Lying. When you look at at the country at the moment, you see a lot of hatred towards the military. And uh, so the USDP was always very 
convinced that they are popular and they have lost each and every uh, election. So I do not see that as, as a, as a given that the military parties would win the elections actually. And they can only win the elections in my view, if they really, they eliminate the NLD, they uh, discriminate against Aung San Suu Kyi uh, and uh, the, the president. They didn't, do not allow them to run uh, for, uh, for, for president um, and, uh, or uh, to, to, to be elected. And then these are not free and fair elections. So that would not give them the legitimacy actually they want. So the military promised that there will be elections in the future and they may be in 2023. So, uh, Richard, what, what do you think if you hear this promise by the military about elections in maybe 2023? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, of course, nobody believes in their words anymore. Uh, there might be election, of course, but firstly, as Professor said, you know, they have to eliminate MLD first. Otherwise, there will be no election at all because they will make a setup that they will win. Then only they are, it's going to be election after this kind of coup and, you know, killing so many people and jailing thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. Yes, of course. There can be election as they promise, but which will not be very, which will be very far from free and fair. Yeah. And in not including NLD for sure. That's, that's their main aim. Even if NLDs uh, might be included, maybe not Dong San Suu Kyi and their main personnel, you know, who are in jail now. Yeah. They might be put in, in the jail for maybe, we don't know, maybe 10, 20 years. Uh, do not forget that uh, it took the military in Thailand also five years uh, from the coup to come up with elections in 2019. And they do not have such a multi-ethnic setting. They have one uh, opposition party they need to, to deal with. But in Myanmar, you got a lot of parties you have to deal with. So it's much more difficult to manipulate the field. And we had the same discussion in 19, in the 1990s, right? And then it took the military 20 years to come up with elections. So, um, I do not see really elections happening in 2022, but it will take much longer uh, for Min Aung Lying. Uh, to, to really come up forward. Um, and um, the situation on the ground is actually giving him a lot of uh, reasons to say, okay, look, um, security is not there. We have to stabilize the country first and postpone the elections and so on. So uh, this is actually the way forward I, that I see. So I come to my final question. Like, Democracy is in retreat or under pressure in many parts of the world. And this also applies to the ASEAN countries. We already mentioned Thailand. And I would like to know, like, to, to what extent is Myanmar a typical or an atypical case in the region? And, and what does this mean or the development in, in Myanmar and the democracy? Uh, what does it mean for, 
for the region and for the ASEAN. Um, maybe, Richard, you can uh, start. What is your estimation about this? Um, I mean, democracy is really in danger, of course. But, you know, the whole world as well, uh, including UN, Security Council and everything, is trying very much to get back on the track for Myanmar. Um, of course, a lot of papers producing. But the thing is, you know, I would say we are hitting, um, we're forgetting the kind of, um, you know, general's habits. For the generals, you know, they needed 20 years to get back to the democracy track, if it is starting right now. Um, ASEAN country as well, they're trying to push very much and really unprecedented. But the thing is, it's not enough. I would say even if the stronger punishments other than not inviting in the summit, such as, you know, expelling Myanmar from ASEAN, such as uh, economic and restrictions and everything, even you do that by ASEAN, I'm sure, you know, dictatorships such as Myanmar's dictatorship won't move farther than this. So from my point of view, at the soft power against the hard power, I mean, especially for Myanmar generals, has never worked out in the history and it's likely that it won't work out this time as well. But of course, you know, very recently we received the China and Chinese um, our representative is encouraging ASEAN and trying to influence to take part in the mainline to take part in the military and also the, the in the meeting. But I mean, what what's the um, end situation afterwards? It won't be very much result. There won't be very much result out of ASEAN. That's what we can expect. And Marco Brinto, what do you think about this? I mean, first, uh, Southeast Asia has no real liberal democracy. So the overall, uh, we, we have seen some democratizations in Indonesia, uh, the Philippines, Thailand, but we all have also seen some uh, setbacks, in, particularly in, in Thailand and the Philippines. Myanmar has actually been... Uh, a positive case uh, um, of ref reforming uh, its authoritarian system from 2011 to uh, say 2017 or uh, and so and democratization takes time and uh, so it was on a very good way uh, to develop its own democracy maybe with a very strong military and certainly it is a setback that we have seen now uh, with the coup in uh, 2021 but the reaction of asean um, then is 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 clear um, that having an electoral democracy is something that they they want to see so they will push uh, forward with uh, with this and so so i see some diplomatic frictions uh, uh, coming up between the generals and asean uh, in the future we have to see what china is doing um, at the moment uh, they uh, seem to 
acknowledge uh, the, the the military, but ASEAN has sent a very clear message that they want to at least see um, an elected government. It does not need to be a, a liberal democracy they want to see established, but at least having this kind of minimal uh, democracy is, uh, seems to be a standard uh, now with that we have seen in, in Southeast Asia. Thank you very much for sharing your insights and uh, your knowledge about Myanmar and democracy. And uh, thanks to our listeners for uh, listening to Myanmar in a pot shell. Um, so we have learned, I think, that democracy is a difficult uh, concept and that there are different ideas about it in the country and that real democratization uh, takes a long time and that we have had a severe setback in the country. So um, Myanmar will have uh, a protracted uh, long struggle to find a way to democracy or its way to democracy. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.